Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Good morning. Um, our scripture reading is going to be in Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. After I finish reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you can respond by saying, thanks be to God. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to have you here this morning on this uh, strange weather day. I was driving up uh, from the south and it was raining the whole way. But my thermometer in the car said 25. Very strange. I know there's some of you at home today, and uh, you decided not to venture out. That's okay. Uh, Get a little cup of coffee. Snuggle in the bed with the cat. (laughs) Open the scriptures and just hear what God has for us today. Uh, Last week, I had uh, a sermon from Ephesians chapter 2, if you recall, And it was all about our identity in Christ, who we were, what we are, how we got there, and what we are to do. You remember that? And and how we got there. Remember that? It was by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It is the gift of God. So we, we looked at this idea of grace, and we realized that by the grace of God, 
we are in Christ, seated somehow, magically, mystically, strangely at God's right hand with him. We are in union with Christ. What's true of Jesus is true of us. And we have purpose, and we have place, and we have things to do in the kingdom. Remember all that? This sermon today continues that theme of grace. What what happens to us in our lives? We go about the day and something changes our perspective on grace, doesn't it? We, We tend to forget it and we tend to focus on more about what our value is. And all of a sudden, our relationship with God becomes almost transactional. And we expect things from him, don't we? That that seems to be how it is. Well, this parable, this story, helps us understand the other side of the coin of grace. So let's pray this morning for God's help, and then I'll jump right into it. Father God, uh, help me to deliver a sermon that is true to your word. Help me to deliver a sermon by your Holy Spirit that speaks to our hearts this morning, to our hearts, to my heart, to your heart. Father, help us to see, help us to have ears to hear, to have eyes to see what you have for us. I ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. So, a little exposition. We're going to walk through the passage, see what it's all about. And there's really, uh, there's really four parts to it. And as I go through it, I'm going to give you a little application here and there, and then a couple of summary things at the end. So how is this passage broken down? Uh, verses 1 through 12 give the storyline. This is, this is the storyline of the parable, right? And then uh, what happens in 13 through 15, the next section, the master of the vineyard asks three probing questions. Three questions. So we have the storyline, then we have three questions. The three questions sort of get at the heart of what the master is trying to teach, what God's trying to teach us. And then verse 16, we get that principle, the last shall be first, and the first, and the last. And then finally, verses 17 through 19, which is a a prediction that Jesus makes. Now why is that in there? Why did I have Charlotte read that what connection could there be we're going to find out so the storyline beginning in verse 1 for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard that's how it begins and i want you to know and jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven, we go back, don't we? 
right? So he's giving this parable in response to something. We have to always look at the context of the scripture. It's so easy to read this parable completely out of context, and we can get a lot from it, but it's better to read it in context. So what's going on? This parable is part of a whole section that deals with what we expect from God, what we want from God, what we get from God, what God owes us. Do you know that? So if you look back, it kind of starts with the rich young ruler. Remember way back last year in 2021, way back then, we had a sermon on the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and he says, well, what, what do I have to do? And Jesus kind of gives an answer. And the young man says, yeah, I've done all this. What, what more do you want from me? <laughs> I, I've met the agreement. I've done what you asked me to do. <laughs> what else is there for me to do? What, what more do I need to do to get back from you? You see, it, it's a bit transactional. I've held up my side of the bargain, the young man says. What else is there? And then the disciples, as the, as the chapter finishes up, the disciples, uh, they come to Jesus, and uh, they want to know what they're going to get. They want to know what they want to know what they're going to get. Look at verse twenty-seven. Uh, Peter says in reply, "See, we have left everything and followed you. What will we have? What are we going to get from this? Huh? You see the connection?" Yeah, and then the parable unfolds, but it continues. A little later, after Jesus' prediction, we have a mother's request, and she comes to Jesus, and she says, what are my kids going to get? I want them to be on your right hand, one on the right, one on the left in the kingdom. What am I going to get? And then there's two blind men at the very end isn't there? And Jesus goes by them, and they cry out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. At the very end of the chapter, in verse um, 31, and Jesus stops and calls to them and says, what do you want me to do for you? It's interesting, isn't it? And in the middle of all this, There's two things. There's a parable and a prediction. The parable. Remember the rich young ruler at the beginning. Jesus says, why why do you ask me about what is good? (laughs) There's only one who is good. And a bit later, Jesus tells a parable about a good man. A generous man is connected. And then the prediction. Jesus says something odd after the parable. He predicts his suffering and death. A bit off topic, isn't it? Jesus kind of says, oh, and by the way, uh, you know, here we are. We're going up to Jerusalem. By the way, what's it about? 
So a parable, right? Remember a hundred years ago, I preached a sermon on why does Jesus tell stories? So a parable uses something that we're all familiar with in our life, an experience, a life experience that we all know about, we all can relate to, to do what? To tell a spiritual truth. And in a parable, we always look for what's sort of out of place. There's always a little twist. There's always a little surprise. Remember the parable of the sower back in Matthew 13. The sower goes out to sow the seed. We've all planted gardens and all that. But where does the sower plant? He plants in the pathway. Who does that? He plants in the thorns in the, in the, in the thicket. Who does that? That's what's out of place to begin with in that parable. So what's out of place here? What is the twist, as you say? Notice how the parable is bracketed. Look at verse 30 of the previous chapter, chapter 19. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And then at the very end of the parable, 16, so the last will be first, and the first will be last. Unfortunate chapter break there that kind of messes up the flow of it all. But my point in all of this is there is a flow. There is a continuation of thought. They are connected, all things. And we must understand Before we're out of here today, something about identity. We must know who Jesus means by the first and who Jesus means by the last. As Charlotte read down through there, Jesus didn't care so much about the people in the middle. It's about the first and it's about the last, isn't it? And we'll see that as it unfolds. So, okay, enough preamble. Eric, get to the point. Here's the story. Day laborers are standing in the marketplace waiting to be hired by somebody. Who are they? Who are these day laborers? Well, they're not landowners, right? They're not farmers themselves. If they had land and they had a farm, they'd be working it. So they're not landowners. They're not farmers themselves, They're not indentured servants working on a farm because they'd be there. They're not even slaves. I know today, you and I, when the the term slave is mentioned, we we have a picture in our mind of of things that happened uh, in the last few hundred years. Back then, slavery was different. If you were a slave, you were attached to a family. And you actually, in most cases, had it pretty good. These guys weren't slaves. In fact, these people, these day laborers, are on the lowest rung of the social and economic ladder. They are living hand to mouth. Do you understand that? They have no assurance of tomorrow, let alone today. They don't know if they're going to get work. They don't know if they're going to get fed. They don't know if they're going to get enough to eat. And there they are in the market waiting for someone to come and hire them just for the day. Yeah? 
no steady income. They're desperate to get a job that feeds them for a day. That's how this starts. Huh? Do you see that? The kingdom of heaven is like the master of a house who went early in the morning to hire laborers for the vineyard. Now verse 2. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the market and said to them, you go into the vineyard too. Whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again after the sixth hour and the ninth hour. He did the same. So what's happening here? The workers are hired throughout the day, aren't they? The first are hired at the beginning of the day. See, the day back then, it was a 12-hour work day from 6 in the morning to 6 at night, and it was divided into sort of sections, 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, right? Certain sections. Shifts, you might say. Um, and, and who gets hired first? I want you to think about the scene, if you can. I want you to just picture it. The master shows up. I need some workers. And you can imagine a clamor. Pick me. I, I can work. Look at me. I've got biceps. I'm strong. <laughs> and everybody runs to the front. And the master kind of looks, and he says, yeah, that guy does have some wicked biceps. He's been working out. <laughs> I'll take him, and I'll take him, and I'll take him. Who gets hired first? The strongest? The most experienced? And then there's a contract, isn't there? I'm going to have a little contract with you, he says. I'm going to pay you a day's wage for a day's work. A little contract, a denarius. That was a day's wage back then. That was enough to feed a small family for a day. Let's have a little contract. And the able-bodied, the strong, the ones that jump to the front get hired. And off they go to work. But the master, for some strange reason, keeps coming back, doesn't he? And so at 9 o'clock, he comes back, and uh, third hour, in verse 3, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give to you. There doesn't seem to be a contract here, does there? There's a little difference. There's a little twist. There's something different about these guys. The master is basically saying, trust me. I'll do what's right in the end. Will you trust me? Will you, will you jump on my truck and we'll drive off and we'll... And they do. And he does it again and again and again. Nine o'clock, noontime, three o'clock. He keeps coming, doesn't he? Doesn't he? And then verse 6. 
we get to the real surprise. About the 11th hour, 5 o'clock. It's an hour before quitting time. There's not much time left in the day. Do you understand? It's at the end. The master goes back at the end. At the 11th hour, he goes back. Doesn't he? And he says, why are you standing here idle? All day long. Some people say, well, they were, the master's calling them out for their laziness. No. <laughs> no, it's not about their laziness. Who are the last? They're the weak. They're the ones that couldn't get up to the front. They're the most desperate. You know, in my day, we, we had something called gym class. And in gym class, there was always two teams, two captains. I don't know if you guys still have this today. Yeah, you still have it. And man, for some of us, it was hard. The two captains, uh, you stand up there, and I'll pick you, and I'll pick you, and there you are. And you're like, man, I am not going to be picked first. I'm not going to be picked second. And you know how it all plays out. At the end, at the very end, the captain says, yeah, I'll, I'll take him, yeah. And, and, and it's very dismissive, isn't it? Aaron, where were you picked? Pretty much last year. I could tell you were really identifying with that, right? The last picked. The discards of the deck. The unvalued the unskilled, the lame, the blind, the last chosen. And what does the master say? You go into the vineyard too. I choose you. I pick you. I want you. Get in the truck and let's go to my vineyard. What a beautiful thing. I don't have to preach much more. You go home and think about that, right? But then payday arrives, right? Verse 8. Payday. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the laborers, pay them their wages... And now we have the second little surprise, beginning with the last and ending with the first. So the, the guys that came at the 11th hour, you pay those last, and the others, and we'll just go in descending order. So what do you suppose the master was doing? He was, he was trying to teach something to those that were first. He had them in mind. He wanted them to see everybody getting paid. And what did the first receive? Verse 8, call the laborers, pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. So the last, the people that came the 11th hour, they got a full day's 
wage. Doesn't make any sense, does it? Economically, you would go broke if you did that. It doesn't make any sense to do that, does it? And then the first, verse 10. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them received a denarius. So what did the first receive? Exactly what they agreed to. The contract was fulfilled. A day's wage for a day's work. That's exactly what you agreed to. That's exactly why you got, on the back, got in the back of my truck and went. You got exactly what you agreed to. Yeah, right? Contracts fulfilled. But the first expected something, didn't they? They thought they were going to receive more. They watched as each was paid. And in their mind, they were saying, did you see that? Those 11th hour guys, those guys that came at the end. They got a full day's wage. We worked 12 hours, and they were probably counting on their fingers trying to figure it out. One plus one equals two, and carry the two, carry the three. I don't have enough fingers. We're going to get 12 denarii. I can take a week off. Holy smokes, look at this. Can you imagine? We're going to get more. Or maybe they even thought, well, those guys didn't really show up till 5.30. They only worked maybe half an hour. Maybe we're gonna, we don't have enough fingers and toes to figure it out. They thought... They were going to get more. And what happens? They don't. They get what they agreed to. And how do they respond? Verse 11, and on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last and they probably spit, worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. As children, we learn two phrases. I look at the children in the room, and I look at all of you in the room. We learn that's not fair. We also learn, look at me. And look at me is kind of cute, right? You go out, and, and your little daughter, or your son, saying, Dad, look at me, look at me. We want the father's attention. We want the mother's attention. Look at me. But the other one, we love to yell out, that's not fair. We love to look at those around us, and if my brother gets a piece of birthday cake that's a little bigger, maybe has a little more frosting, maybe has the, the sugary you know, thing that you stick on top. They got two of those, and I only got one. We love to yell out. That's not fair. There's some, we don't have to teach that, right? Ben, did you sit down with your kids and say, okay, now, when you get a, bigger birth, a smaller piece of birthday cake, this is what you do. Did you have to teach that? Do we have to teach that? There's something inside of us that wants what we deserve. Look at those 11th hour people. <laughs> those worthless losers. You made them equal to us. 
We bore the burden of the day. We were out in the scorching heat, and what did they do? You owe it to us. And now the master responds with three questions that really tell us what this parable is all about. And you guys know already. Yeah, you know already. This gets to the heart of the master. So question number one, uh, look at verse 13. But he replied to one of them, friend, he says, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. What is this question about? The master replies with gentleness, doesn't he? He says, friend, this is, a, this is a lovely thing here. He replies with gentleness and patience. He says, you know, we had an agreement, a day's work for a day's wage, didn't we? We had a contract. And didn't I hold up my end of the agreement? Didn't I do exactly what I promised? So often in our Christian lives, we become dissatisfied. We get disappointed. We look at the circumstances of our lives and we cry out and we point the finger at the master and we blame him and we say, God, that's not fair. Don't we? I ask you this morning with gentleness and profound respect. Has the master been faithful to you? Has God kept his promises to you? Has he ever left you or forsaken you? There's one more thing here in this question. The master says, take what belongs to you and go. Remember the rich young ruler? What happened to him? He went away as well. There's a connection here. Didn't he go away? How did he go away? He went away sorrowful. He didn't get what the master was trying to tell him. If we try, you and I, if we try to make our relationship with God a transaction based upon what God owes us because of our works, we too will go away sorrowful. There is no happiness in that. There is no fulfillment in that. There is no joy in that. God, I worked so hard for you. I've been so faithful. I suffered for you in the heat of the day. You owe me. Oh, my friends, don't have that attitude. God forbid bid that I act like that towards the master. It shows I don't understand his grace, his mercy, his kindness. The world's economy runs on merit, on what's owed me. We take what's owed owed to us and we turn and go. The kingdom of heaven runs on grace, unexpected, undeserved, unlimited favor based on the riches of God's grace in Christ. We receive and we are drawn closer to the master. We rejoice in gratitude and thanksgiving. Question one is all about God's faithfulness and God's grace. 
He keeps his promises, and he showers us with abundant grace. Question two, middle of 14. Take what belongs to you and go. He says, I choose to give to this last worker as I have given to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs with me, to me? What's the master getting at? I think, I think three things. Number one, authority. The master says, I choose to give. I do what I choose with what belongs to me. It's my vineyard. It's my harvest. It's my payroll. You forget that I'm the one in charge, and I have authority to act as I want. God is saying, you can't put me in a box. You can't control me. This is not transactional. I'm the master of the vineyard, not you. I'm the one in charge. I'm sovereign. So authority and then prominence. Prominence. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. So he's putting them on equal footing, isn't he? He's kind of saying, in a way, you're all equal. We're all on equal footing when it comes to the kingdom of heaven. Every worker in the vineyard is there because the master went to the marketplace and he sought them out and he found them and he brought them back. He hired them from the first to the last. It's all his doing. First and last. There is a tendency in churches to think because I've been here a while that I have a place of prominence compared to those who come in later. You know what I mean? There's like an inner circle. We've been here the whole time. We started over in the, the other place and the place before that and the place before that. There sometimes can be an inner circle that's hard for newcomers to break into. I pray and I trust that we don't do that at New King. If we do, call us out. There is no inner circle. We are all here by the grace of God. Yeah? And, and, and sometimes we say we want to be friendly to the newcomers, yeah? We want to be friendly to you. It's more than that. We want to be friends with you. We want you to come in to share everything that we share. We don't want to have places of prominence. We don't want to have people elevated above anybody else. We're all equal in the eyes of God by his grace. And then finally, rights, rights. So, so authority, prominence, rights. Another way to ask the question is, don't I, as the master, have the right to do as I please to what belongs to me? Don't I have the right? Isn't it mine? Let me say this gently. There is a current going through our country. A tone. An insistence on our rights as Christians. At times it's very militant. It's an in your face, I demand my rights. We need to be careful of that. 
We are here by God's grace. In a way, we have given up all our rights in this world when we become citizens of heaven. Just, I don't see it here, but we need to be careful of that. So question two is all about God's sovereignty. We've got to get to question three. Time is running out. Do you begrudge my generosity, the master asks? This is the real issue, isn't it? It's all about our attitude. Particularly towards others and towards the master. Towards others. How do we respond when we see the blessings of others? Are we envious? It could be job. It could be career. It could be finances. It could be family. It could be health. Any of these things. When God blesses somebody else, what is your immediate reaction? It could be gifts. In the church, how do you react? And to the master, do we grumble at the master? Do we turn to the master and say, that's not fair, that's not what I deserve? (laughs) We had a deal. (laughs) I go to church every week. I'm part of a community group. I tithe. (laughs) I thought you were going to, Give me what I deserve. Is that what you want? Do you want what you deserve? Is that really what you want? Oh, God forbid. And what happens? When we have that mindset of that's not fair, give me what I deserve, it clouds everything. You know what the Greek says for this word, this phrase about, about, about um, begrudging my generosity? It says your eye is evil. That's what the Greek says. Your eye is evil. Jesus talked, that, talked about that in Matthew chapter 6. We don't have time to look at it. But if we approach the world, if we approach the church with a that's not fair, give me what I deserve attitude, it will cloud everything and lead us into darkness. That's what Matthew 6 says. So question three is really about God's grace and our response to it. Okay, man, I'm out of time. The principle, the last will be first and the first last. Are you surprised by that? Huh? Does that really surprise you? This is, yes, this is how God works. Everything in the kingdom of heaven is reversed, right? The poor are the ones that are rich. The weak are the strong. We die so that we live. We lose our lives so that we can save them. Whoever will be great must be a servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and the humble will be exalted. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. So what does this mean? Bible pastor and scholar Kevin DeYoung says this. The first, now listen carefully. The first will be last because 
they think they are first. The last will be first because they know they are last. You understand? It's about what you think. Man, I'm first. I worked through the day. I worked and labored. I'm last. I can't believe I was picked. I can't believe that God picked me. I'm the first. It's about our attitude. Now, a couple of points at the end. God's grace is initiative. His pursuit of us. The master goes. He goes. A couple of weeks ago, Annette and I got invited to have a coffee after church with a young lady who was searching for God. She had questions about God. She wasn't a Christian, but she was exploring Christianity. And over the course of the conversation, she asked this question. What is the purpose of Christianity? I've looked at it, and I see that there are two. One is to be better in this life, to to have better qualities and better traits. The other is is to get out of this life and to get to heaven. Eric, which is it, she said. How would you answer that question? It's about relationship. It's about God seeking and finding us to save us and restore us for himself. It's about his grace going out into the world to find us. Those other things are a byproduct. Yes, we have better lives. Yes, we're going to be with Jesus in the kingdom. But it's about the the restoration of us to himself. That's what Christianity is all about. And that grace comes out not just in salvation, but how we are to live our lives. It's not just at the beginning. It's all through. One last verse before we get done. Second Peter chapter 2. The very, or Second Peter chapter 3, the very last verse of Second Peter. Now, Peter was the one that asked the question, what are we going to get? You know what Peter's last word is in the Bible? You know what he said last, the very last thing he said? The same guy, he says this. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. So, what happens to us? We forget about God's grace. We forget about our identity of who we are. Who are we? My friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, do you know who we are? We all were hired at the 11th hour. We all were the ones that didn't deserve it. We all are 11th hour men and women. That's who we are. And what about the prediction? You think I forgot? Why did Jesus have this prediction at the end? Why why is that thrown in there? 
And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. You want to talk about fairness? You want to talk about getting what you deserve? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for this parable. Father, help us to know who we are. Help us to understand that it is by your grace that we are saved, that it is by your grace that we walk, that it is by your grace that we have our being. Help us to understand who we are. Father, we are the last hired. We don't deserve it. We look to our Savior, Jesus, who through his grace has brought us to himself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.